I, I am in my shul in all Nechama. I open the doors in the morning. I'm the first one there. I in all Nechama in the Katamon. I'm the first one there every morning. I have the key. Open up. I have this for my grandfather. It's a thing that, you know, you come early, and if you come early, then you're for sure on time. But uh, I'm once. Uh, I'm also human. Sometimes I get delayed for a shear or whatever. So I always say I have a minag, a shear that I give never started before I got there. It's a custom. It's a, it's a minag. Yeah, not everybody holds for that uh, minag. I pulled it off, yeah. It's, uh, it's a minag. Okay, there are pages on the table. The, um, the poem from Shlomo Ibn Gabirol that Ashkenazim will be saying this coming Thursday morning as part of the slichot. Rabbi Abraham Rosenfeld, Zechron Levrocha from England, who published uh, an entire volume on Slichot and an entire volume on the keynote of Tisha B'Av, did a wonderful job translating. Um, I believe uh, what you have on the left side is English. Uh, you know, we from uh, Brooklyn, New York, don't always recognize it as such. Um, somebody asked me to if I would translate my book that I put out two years ago on the conversations with the Rav, I said, it is in translation. Really? You wrote it in Hebrew? I said, no, no, no. I wrote it in Brooklynese. And Rabbi David Shapiro was so kind to translate it into Brookline English. So it's in translation, you know. It's a, sometimes there's no connection between the Brooklynese English and the finer English that one can hear in towns like Brookline, Massachusetts. Of course, uh, you know, sizing it up to Rabbi Sachs, his English. I mean, we're never going to get there. I remember when my son was doing his uh, uh, flight training in Florida, and I heard Rabbi Sachs was speaking in Miami Beach. I wrote to him quickly. I said, why don't you go hear Rabbi Sachs? Even if you don't understand them, at least you'll learn some English. It's, uh, <laughs> that's for sure. So Ibn Gabirol is a um, 11th century, it says here, 1056 to... Um, um, 1021 to 1056, 11th century Spanish personality from the southeast part of uh, Spain, um, the, the city of Malaga. In my trip three weeks ago, we were there, and there is a statue of Ibn Gabirol. And at that point, I said a few nice words about uh, his poetry. Um, there was a big city called Granada, where he too was there, not far, not far from Malaga, and that's the area that, uh, that he uh, functioned. He was also a philosopher. He was also, as everybody else in the Spaniards, was an astronomer. Uh, you know, there, if you, if you knew anything, so you did everything. It, you were a kolboynik. You, 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 you had awareness of the science of the day, but also uh, poetry. And his poems, some of them made it into the, our liturgy. And this particular poem, of all things, makes it into the uh, Ashkenazi uh, liturgical section of Slichot for Shivasar Batamus. And we will see in this poem that not only do you have to be aware of Hebrew, the medieval Hebrew, that was, um, a, it's not the modern day Hebrew, it's Hebrew that takes the biblical Hebrew and then expands on it and builds new words and so on. Secondly, to be aware of of Tanakh, just to know the biblical narrative, and then to also be aware of Midrashic statements, 
in order to fully comprehend the medieval poets, you have to be so knowledgeable, and that is why many people just don't bother figuring out what's being said. So there are plenty of people throughout the world who are going to be reciting the slichot on Shiva Sabbat Hamuz, just as they recite the slichot in the, before Rosh Hashanah and between Rosh Hashanah and Kippah. And, and to them, it's like reading Tillam with very little understanding. They go through it, and especially if it's a morning minion where people are st going to work and they're looking at the clock and um, they're rushing through it. Nobody takes the time to try to understand it and so on. And if some person wants to give a sheer about it, more often than not, the person doesn't really have a handle on it. Brau Rabbi Rav was different. And he took the pain to explain slichot and explain the keynote. I mean, I can tell you on Tisha B'Av, for years, he would spend eight hours from nine to five explaining the keynote, which was like unbelievable. And today we have many, many books that have been put out, the, you know, giving over the thoughts of the Rav on this keynote. And there too, you, you get an appreciation of, of his awareness of Tanakh, of grammatic forms, of, of um, the history that's being talked about, because some of the keynote is not just the Beit HaMikdash, but it's also the Middle Ages, and you have to understand what the references were to. So here we're going to tackle with one poem from Shlomo Ibn Gabirol that was tailor-made for Shivasar Tammuz, the 17th of Tammuz. And l let's look at the opening line here. She'ein esar asher nimsar biyad bavel v'gam seir. Lecha yehemeh zekameh v'yitchanen keben seir. Yom gavar ha'oyev v'tibaka ha'ir. Very poetic, very much with rhyme, very much with meter. It's built very, very beautifully. Section, phrase after phrase. She'ein esar Ashen nimsar, right? It's immediate. You see, it's a it's rhyme scheme. She'e, what does she'e mean? So we know that word in our tefillot. What we have to do with poetry is always just immediately try to figure out where else do we have that word. The phrase she'e v'ratzon, she'e v'ratzon has something to do with tefillah. Has something to do with asking a kadosh baruch to look at us. To just look at us. In, in Echa, in the uh, second chapter, so it says, um, it says there, Al Eila Ani Bochia. Al Eila Ani Bochia. All right, so what are we crying about? So he says, Eini, Eini, Yardamayim. My eyes are just gushing with tears. Gushing with tears. Uh, for what? what? What really happened? So the, the, it was Yermiao. Who read it? I'm just going to open it up because I don't want to quote it incorrectly. I mean, I should actually know it by heart because it's a Kalbach song, right? Alela ni bochia ini anim yordamayim ki rachak mimeni menachem meshiv nafshi ki rachak mimeni. You know why I'm crying? Because you have distanced yourself. No, I'm not crying about the destruction. The destruction of Beit Hamikdash and the exile. That's all a result of one manifest, ma magnificent calamity. The calamity was that God has distanced himself from us. He's, he's far away. If he would be close to us, the, the calamity would be less. 
How does David Amalek say, Gam ki elich begeit salmavet lo irara? Even if I face the shadow of death, I won't fear it. Why? Ki atayimadi. You're with me. You're holding my hand. I'll, I'll make it through. I won't make it through, but I, I can somehow survive it much better knowing that you're with me. The greatest calamity is ki rachak mimeni. You're not here. You've distanced yourself. What um, the Torah speaks about, Hester Panim, Esther Mina Torah Minayan. Where do you have a, rev, a, a reference to Esther in the Chumash? Shenemar Vanochi Aster Astir Panai in Parshat Vayelach. God says, I will hide my face. You, you, I'm not going to be evident. I'm not going to be felt. You, you, I won't be, I, you, you won't think I'm around at all. That's the greatest tragedy to Am Yisrael. So we say that a Kadosh Baruch Hu should turn towards us. That's, that's a tremendous thing. That's a tremendous thing. We talk about uh, uh, the, the, the impending redemption uh, of Yechezkel, Vatem Hare Yisrael, the mountains of Israel, An Pachem Titenu, Fer Yechem Lami Yisrael. The fruits are going to start giving off, the trees are going to start giving off fruits. Ki Kervu Lavo. It's coming close. You are becoming close. You, God, are coming close. And we feel it, we sense it, as we do in our own day today. So She'ei Ne'esar, Ne'esar from, it means the captives, from the word Asirim. We ask God to turn to the captives. Who, who, who put us into captivity? Asher we were given over twice. Be'yad Bavel, Vigam Seir. Bavel, Babylon, is one. That's an obvious reference to the destruction of the first Beit HaMikdash. Who is Seir? It's Edom. And who is Edom? It's Rome. It's the second destruction. So he's using a biblical name of, of, of Edom, which the Torah already uses, Har Seir. It's in the Chumash. So Har Seir, Edom, Rome. The second Galut was given the nickname Galut Edom, which is Galut Rome. And it's the Galut of the destruction of the second Beit HaMikdash. So... Ibn Gabirol is going to say something about two different uh, historic moments, tragic moments. One is the destruction and the exile by the Babylonians, first time around, and then also by Rome, second time around. This is an expression of, of, of uh, uh, gasping and, and uh, crying and pleading like a youngster, like a baby, like a baby crying. What happened on this day, on these two occasions? The same thing happened. Yom Gavar HaOyev Vatibakahair, the day that the enemy um, they became became strong. Who was victor was was victorious. The day that the enemy was victorious, and the city was split opened. What does it mean? The city was split open. Now the phrase "vatibakair" comes out, it's a taken out of a page from Yirmiyahu. Now Yirmiyahu, it says uh, in the fifty-second chapter, it's the last chapter of Yirmiyahu, and it's repeated also in the last chapter of Melachim Bet. Uh, and Chazal say that Yirmiyahu wrote that too. And I'm just going to read the pasuk: "Bachodesh Haravii b'tishal Chodesh." And on the fourth month, fourth month, Nisan, Iyar, Sivan, Tammuz. On the ninth day, on the ninth day, 
and the famine in the city was great because the Babylonians lay siege around Yerushalayim on the 10th of Tevet, two and a half years earlier. Two and a half years earlier, there was a siege laid around Yerushalayim, and the famine was great. And the nation had no bread. And the walls of the city were smashed through. In other words, the, the Babylonians had a wait-and-see policy. They lay siege. Nothing was going in. It was only a question of time where the situation in the city itself would be so desperate that people would be killing each other for bread. And that's what happened. And by the way, there were other scenarios in world history where that kind of policy took place. For example, the Russians taking over Poland allowed Warsaw to starve, starve before they entered, before they entered. They just sat outside and just let people kill each other out. Each other, the Poles, they're killing each other out. So that when the Russians finally entered, it was um, easy prey. They were all, we, first of all, half were killed out already, and it became easy prey. And it's exactly what the Babylonians did. They let the Bnei Yisrael kill themselves out. And when they finally took over two and a half years later, the Bnei Yisrael were easy prey, no doubt about that. And that was the Yom Gavar HaOyev Vatibakair, but one second. Yirmiyahu tells us it's the 9th of Tammuz, not the 17th of Tammuz. Now we have a, a, um, a historic record that in the second Beit HaMikdash, the very type of invasion of the city of Yerushalayim by the Romans takes place on the 17th of Tammuz. Who writes it? Josephus. Josephus in the Book of Wars. So in the Book of Wars, you have to understand, Josephus previously was the general, the Jewish general in the Galil, and he goes over to the Roman side. And that's a sheer in itself, why he does it, what's the, aft, the outcome. But one thing is clear, ultimately Josephus turns out to be a very, very uh, important historian for events of Hurban Bayacheni, very important historian. And he writes that on the 17th of Tammuz, three weeks before the 9th of Av, there was a destructive the break, the breakthrough to Yerushalayim. So the Romans break through the walls because that's the way you took over cities. You eventually wear the people down and then at certain strategic, strategic moment, crash through the walls. So that for sure takes place on the 17th of Tammuz. But it seems that the crashing of the walls 500 years earlier by the Babylonians was not on the 17th, but on the 9th. And yet Ibn Gabirol tells us Babylonians and the Romans. Yom Gavar Ha'oyev Batibakair. You take a page? You take a page? Yeah. 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 Okay. So what's going on here? So the Gemara tells us in Masechet Rosh Hashanah, um, there's a Mishnah. And the, the, the Gemara tells us that there were four things that Rabbi Akiva and Rabbi Shimon didn't see eye to eye. And one of them happened to do with the phrase 
that Zechariah Hanavi uses. Zechariah Hanavi is, is in the beginning of Bait Shani, and he's being questioned whether we should continue fasting Tisha B'Av. This is the beginning of Bait Shani. Imagine building Beit HaMikdash, and it was a legitimate halacha question. Okay? Should we still fast the fast of the month of Av? And he gives a great answer, such a good answer that we don't have a clue what he said. It was a great answer. He says, the fast of the fourth month and the fast of the fifth month and the fast of the seventh month and the fast of the tenth month, they are the fasts of Tammuz, of Tishrei, which is Tzom Gedalia, and Tevet. I'm going to become Yamim Tovim. All right, what's the answer? When are they going to be Yamim Tovim? And it's a big dispute amongst commentators. Did Zechariah talk about the second Beit HaMikdash? Or, as the Rambam understood, he talked about the third Beit HaMikdash. Which means, according to the Rambam, and he says it clearly in his Mishnah commentary to Masechet, Rosh Hashanah, that in Bayacheni we actually fasted on Tisha B'av. The Beit, imagine this absurd, seemingly absurd. Beit Hamikdash is standing up and functioning, and we're fasting on the ninth of Av. Why? Rambam believed that the Beit Hamikdash and the second Beit Hamikdash never achieved the glory of the first, and hence there was a gap between what was and what is at the time of the second Beit Hamikdash worthy of fasting. That gap was worthy of fasting, Tisha B'Av. Fine. So you have a Navi who's now talking about the four fast days, but he doesn't give a date. He gives the month. What was he talking about when he said the fast of the fourth month? It can only be a reference to the first Beit HaMikdash. My gosh, he's in the beginning of Bayit Sheini, so he can't be referring to the destruction of Bayit Sheini. It's got to be Bayit Rishon. But we don't have a date. So there seems to be a dispute as to what the date is. And the Gemara tells us in the Talmud Bavli that it means the ninth of Tammuz. That Zechariah was referring to a fast that Am Yisrael indeed fasted between Bayit Rishon and Bayit Sheni on the ninth of Tammuz. Why the ninth? Because that's what it says in the Navi. It says, it says, the ninth of the month. That's when the Babylonians crashed through the walls. So there's an opinion that the Babylonian Talmud has that the Tzom HaRavi was the ninth of Tammuz. Now, the Mishnah tells us that five things happened on the 17th of Tammuz, and one of the things was the crashing of the walls. So the Gemara tells us, yeah, 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 that's the second Beit HaMikdash. The second Beit HaMikdash, the Romans crashed through on the, on the 17th. So some of the, so the Gemara asks, Gemara says, uh, why don't we fast both times? <laughs> why don't we continue to fast on the 9th of Tammuz, which was last week, by the way, and on the 17th of Tammuz, which is this coming Thursday? So basically the Poskim give us a response and they say, that our existence today is a direct result of the destruction of the second Beit HaMikdash and only indirectly for the first Beit HaMikdash. So if we're going to have to pick and choose, we're going to go with the observance of the second Beit HaMikdash destruction and focus on the Romans. They crash through on the 17th of Tammuz, and that becomes the fast. 
And yet some of the later poskim still argue, why don't we fast both days? Why don't we fast both days? And the answer is, that's too much to ask. I mean, we're going to be fasting already on Tisha B'Av, and we're fasting on the 17th. You want to fast a week before too? No, it's Chachamim were sensitive to the fact that you cannot overburden Am Yisrael with too many fast days in a, in a very, very short time framework. So this is the Babylonian point of view, that the original fast of the fourth month was the ninth. It was changed to the 17th in the aftermath of the second destruction. That's the Talmud Bavli. Comes the Talmud Yerushalmi and says, no, just as the Romans crashed through the walls of Yerushalayim on the 17th, so did the Babylonians 500 years earlier crash through the wall on the 17th. And when Zechariah was talking about the Tzom Haravi'i, he was talking about the 17th of Tammuz. So the Yerushalmi asked a very simple question. How does that jive with the Pasuk in Sefer Yirmiyahu? The Pasuk in Yirmiyahu explicitly tells us the fourth month, the ninth of the month, Bachodesh Haravi'i, B'tish'ah Lachodesh, Vatibaka Ha'ir. It's explicit. You can't miss it. And there's an unbelievable response of the Yerushalmi. It says that there was kilkul hacheshbonot, which means that people had the date wrong. What do you mean people had the date wrong? The tragedy was so great that people lost their sense of time, of calendar. Now you may think, how in the world can that happen? Talk to any Holocaust survivor and they'll tell you how people lost track of time. Nobody had calendars in the camps. And what the Yerushalmi is telling us is that the Babylonians crashed through the wall on the 17th and Yermio deliberately writes the wrong date, the 9th, so that we, two and a half thousand years later, can appreciate what was going on at the days of the Churban. It was such turmoil and chaos they didn't even have the date right. But in the, in the channels of the oral law, we had the date right. And that's what surfaces in the Yerushalmi. It also took place on the 17th. But the Navi deliberately wrote it wrong. Now, I would never make that comment, but it's in the Talmud Yerushalmi as an option. Ibn Gabirol opts to take the Yerushalmi point of view that both the first and the second destructions began with the crashing through of the walls on the identical calendar date, the 17th of Tammuz. And that's why he says, We were taken captive twice, once by the Babylonians and the second time by the Edomites, Seir, Edom, Rome. What happened? Yom Gavar HaOyev Vatibakair. This is going to be relevant both for Bavel and for Edom. He adopts the Yerushalmi point of view. This is going to become important for the understanding of something at the end of the poem. But I'm going to jump down, as we call in, uh, in computer language, scroll down. I'm going to scroll down to about five lines from the end. The last stanza. 
הוד ליבי ומזגבי, הלעד אפך יעשן, הלא תראה עם נלאה, אשר הושך כמו כבשן. גדור פרצי, בבן פרצי, ומחרק לקוט שושן. בני בית זבול, והשב גבול, הכרמל והבשן. ואין פקח, ונקום כך, מעצר ומדישן. שבות אילם, ואז ישלם, המבעה והמבעיר. יום גבר האויב, ותיפקה העיר. In the name of brevity, I'm only going to attack the last three lines. That begins with B'nai Beitzvul. Let's look at this carefully. B'nai Beitzvul, the Hashev Gvul. What is Beitzvul? It's a nickname. For what? The Beit HaMikdash. That is correct. And there are Tanakhic and Midrashic references. Why Beit HaMikdash has this nickname? One of the reasons, one of the reasons, that Zvul, Zvulun, the northern border of Zvulun, is not far from Lebanon. And the Beit HaMikdash was built with the cedar wood from Lebanon. So much so that in Parshat Ve'etchanan, Ve'etchanan, when Moshe Rabbeinu makes a reference to um, where he says, So Chazal say, is a reference to Beit Mikdash. And why is it called Lebanon? Because eventually, eventually, Shlomo Melech is going to strike a deal with Hiram, the king of Tzor, and he's going to draft people into service to help schlep wood. It weighed a lot. And they had to bring it down to Yerushalayim. And they did. And there was a peace treaty with Lebanon at the day, with Hiram, the king of Lebanon, of Tzor, of the city of Tzor, which is Lebanon. So Beit Zvul is a nickname for Beit HaMikdash. So we're asking HaKadosh Baruch Hu, at the end of the poem to rebuild Beit HaMikdash. You know, just to, um, to, 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 not to cheat you completely, let's just go back up, scroll back up to the beginning of the second stanza, where it says, L'chof ikaf ve'espokaf. If you recall from yesterday's Torah reading, you know, Bolok, you know, and Bilam, you, you have this holding the hands together, the, and, and, and it's not an accident that Ibn Gabirol has Parshat Shavua. The phrase, spoke kaf, is, is taken out of yesterday's parasha. He, it's fresh in his memory, and so on. It's the week of Shavasa Batamuz. And he says, Bayom Chamesh Pizaruni. Five things happened on this day. So he has the Mishnah right in front of him. Chamishat Varim Eru et Abotenu I'm going to read it. Uh, one is Nishtabru Haluchot. The, the Moshe Rabbeinu comes down after 40 days, and what does he see? His shocking vision of the golden calf, the eagle, right? 
So that's going to be the first thing in Ibn Kabirol's listing. Ve'al regel ha'egel haluchot yitzauni. But a foot of the eagle, but a foot where, where the, the eagle, what? What does it mean, what? The event, right. So it might be a takeoff on Parshat Balak, where the Aton talks about Shalosh Rigalim, which means three festivals, which means three festivals. And at the event of the Egel, so the Luchot were let lost. Were, well, basically, we know it was dropped and they crashed, which means they smithered away. That was the first event. And the Mishnah tells us and the second event was Butal HaTamid, the Korban Tamid, the daily sacrifice. And by the way, it wasn't just the daily sacrifice. You think they didn't bring the Korban Tamid, but on Rosh Chodesh Av, they brought the Musaf for Rosh Chodesh Av. No, 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 no. It means that Beit HaMikdash activity ended. And that's really the theme of an earlier Slichot that we're going to say this coming Monday. It's very clear that everything was stopped. Beit HaMikdash activity was stopped. But here too, the poem, Ibn Gabirol says, using the Mishnah, Al Hoshmad HaTamid, the Korban Tamid comes to an end. And then it says, V'lachad Tsar Ir Miftsar, Ubasoger Heviani. And this is the crashing of the wall. I'm on the second stanza. V'husam elil b'heichal kalil. And a statue, a pesel, was put up in, in, the, in the Beit HaMikdash. And that's where the Mishnah says, Ho'amad selem b'heichal. They put up some type of statue. And the Gemara tells us we don't have information. Exactly who did it, what was done. So too, datchat sar be'esh hiv'ir. Your Torah was burnt, was consumed in fire. So the Gemara tells us, also, we don't exactly have a history of when exactly was a Torah burnt in the Beit HaMikdash. Yeah. It's parallel to the Luchot, correct. It's parallel to the Luchot, and the Mishnah, by giving us these five episodes, tragic episodes, all on the date of Shiva Sabbat Tammuz, including not only an aspect of the destruction of the first Beit HaMikdash, and perhaps even the second, but also telling us that tragic moments with regard to Torah took place as well. And if you go through the keynote on Tisha B'Av carefully, you will see that there are some keynote that reflect upon the destruction of Torah. Because the destruction of Torah is no less a destruction, if not more say, than the destruction of Beit HaMikdash. As Rabbi Yochem and Zakkai taught us, Ten liyavna v'chachameha. If we can just save Yavna with the Talmidei Chachamim, something has been salvaged from the destruction of the Beit HaMikdash. But when they burnt the, the, the Gemarot in Paris in 1242, as Maram Marutenberg writes the poem, and, and that's one of the piyutim that we say on Kinot on Tisha B'av, this was a major, major blow. And when we talk about the, the Arei Shum, the spire of Armaiza and Magensia, the, the destruction of Torah centers in the af aftermath of the First Crusade of 1096, and we're saying this on Tisha B'av, because this is the destruction of Torah. Very much the destruction of Torah. And the same Rabbi Abraham Rosenfeld, who authored an unbelievable elegy, kinah, for, for the Shoah, and talks about the destruction of Torah centers 
in, 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 in terms of what happened in the Shoah, not only the, the destruction of Jewish people and so on, Torah centers. So this is all here. And, the, and Ibn Gabirol has the Mishnah right in front of him, and he builds a whole stanza around well, these are events that occurred on the 17th of Tammuz. So now I'm jumping down to three lines to the end. B'nai Beit Vul v'ashev Gvul. We ask Kadosh Baruch Hu to rebuild the Beit HaMikdash and restore the boundary. Now, what is he talking about? You cannot have Beit HaMikdash in a vacuum. It doesn't start with Beit HaMikdash. It starts with Am Yisrael and Eretz Yisrael. That's where it starts. So Yeshua conquers Eretz Yisrael. He doesn't conquer it in one day. As a matter of fact, he doesn't even live to see the conquering of the full Eretz Yisrael. The conquering of Eretz Yisrael is a process that goes on until David HaMelech. So we're talking now a few hundred years. Because when the Beit HaMikdash is finally built, and in Malachim Aleph Perik Vav, we are given a date of 480 years from Yitzhak Mitzrayim. So that's 440 years from Yeshua. 440 years. And finally, 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 we did it. So first you have to have the boundaries of Eretz Yisrael intact. And Eretz Am Yisrael in its place. Then you can talk about building Beit HaMikdash. Because the area of Yavus, which is today modern day Yerushalayim, was the last order of business of freeing, the liberating the, the land of Israel from the seven nations of Canaan. So Yavus, Yavusim, they were the last ones. And finally, finally, David HaMelech does it and, and, and cites the place where Kadosh Baruch Hu has decided to rest with, not on his own, does it with a Navi, but it's finally located. Fine. And it's Yushalayim, as we know. So that's like the end of the whole process of taking over Eretz Yisrael and eventually getting a Beit HaMikdash. So if we're going to restore Beit HaMikdash, let's talk about restoring the borders of Eretz Yisrael. Which means, this says something about those in the late 19th century and in the 20th century who said the Zionist movement cannot be a movement that's going to lead to the redemption of Am Yisrael. Why? Because the redemption will come about by the Beit HaMikdash coming down from heaven in fire and then we'll all go back to Eretz Yisrael. That's not the way it's being talked about. You have to come back to Eretz Yisrael first. And only then can you talk about, and that's why he says, B'nai Beitcha, yeah, that's the objective. We want to build Beit HaMikdash. And I'm going to prove to you what I just said. It's not just my, you know, religious Zionism heresy. It's, uh, it's a Gemara. The Gemara says in Masechet Megillah, Daf Yud Zayim, it says with regard to the order of Shmon that we daven every morning and every afternoon and every evening, so we have tikah b'shofar gadol l'cheirotenu. We ask Kadosh Baruch Hu to ingather the exiles. Ba'uch atashem mekabetz netchayim Yisrael. Only afterwards do we talk about the restoration of the Sanhedrin. Hashiva shavtenu k'voshana. And only afterwards, afterwards, do we get to v'lushalayim yircha brachamim tashuv. Afterwards, etzemach David, the appearance of Melech HaMashiach. The Gemara tells us that's the sequential order. That is the sequential order. And the Rambam buys it, by the way. Rama believes that's the way it's supposed to be. There has to be a kibbutz goliot 
And only afterwards can we talk about the restoration of the osmicha of old and rebuilding, reestablishing the Sanhedrin. And only afterwards can you talk about rebuilding Yerushalayim in terms of Beit HaMikdash. This is a process that has a sequential order to it. And therefore, while what we're looking for is B'nai Beit Vul, they destroyed the they, the big they, they destroyed the Beit HaMikdash. We want it back, but how is it going to come about? Let's talk about Hashev Gvul. We're going to have to restore the border. And uh, by the way, I want to get to the point of the Gemara Masechet Brachot, Mem Zayin. The Gemara says that um, the Pasuk in Tilam, that we say every morning in Pesukah Zimra, Bonei Yerushalayim Hashem, Nidchei Yisrael Yechanes. Translated means God will build Yerushalayim and bring everybody into Eretz Yisrael. Seems to contradict everything I just said now. So the Gemara says, Eimatai bonei Yerushalayim Hashem. When will Hakadosh Baruch Hu build Yerushalayim? Bizman shenitchei Yisrael yechanes. When Am Yisrael return, which means what the Gemara does, it takes the pshat of the pasuk and turns it right around and says, "Don't get it wrong. It's not that binyan Yerushalayim first and then kibbutz goliot second." You know how many times I've been saying this in Baropak? Turn, I'm turning blue already. How many times I've used this Gemara? In Chutz Laaretz. I said, Hever, it's a fuch. It's a fuch. But, yeah, Vaksha. In, in, in the second place, I mean, this is the Right. Second mate, the Mikdash, according to Rabbi Levi, was a disaster because they didn't come back. Because they didn't come back. They had the opportunity of coming back, they didn't come back. 5% came back, 95% stayed in America. They called America Bavel. They had a different name. But they stayed in America, that's all. And now, 46% are here. And a Kadosh Baruch Hu should give each and every one of us good health, because in 10 years, maximum 15 years, the majority of Am Yisrael is going to be here. Maximum 15 years. The way it's working, the way the statistics are working. They're working in our favor because of negative reasons in Chutzlar, it's unfortunately. Unfortunately. And uh, it's either going to happen at uh, some landing of a Nefesh Benefesh plane, or my daughter's going to see it in the delivery room delivering a baby and we're going to cross the 50-yard line here in Eretz Yisrael. It's going to happen. And the last time we had 50% of Am Yisrael in Eretz Yisrael was 2,600 years ago, before the Galut Aseret Hashvatim, before the exile of the 10 tribes. That's about 100 years before the destruction of the first Beit HaMikdash. That was the last time Rov Am Yisrael was in Eretz Yisrael. And God willing, we're going to see it. We're going to see it. And there are going to be adjustments in certain halachot because of that. That's going to be a big day for Am Yisrael. A very, very big day for Am Yisrael. So we're talking about B'nai Beit Zvul. So the Gemara says, B'nai Yerushalayim Hashem, B'zmei when? B'zman shenitchei Yisrael So you have to have the Jews coming back to Eretz Yisrael. So that's why Ibn Gabirol knows this. And he says, Hashem Gvul, which boundary? What are we talking about? He wants to undo both the first and the second exile. So he has to go back to the boundaries of where the exiles took place. And he says, Ha-Karmel v'habashan. Where is the Carmel? Where? It's up north, by Haifa, right? Yeah, yeah, well, and where's the Bashan? Maybe we'll talk about the Bashan first. Where is Eretz Bashan? We know it from the Chumash. Eretz Bashan is the half of the Shevet Menashe. It's the Golan Heights. It's the Golan Heights. 
Now, if somebody was traveling from Babylon to Eretz Yisrael, in the days of Bayi and there was some traffic, so you, you know that a, a, a straight line is the shortest distance between two points. Right? We learned that in sixth grade. So as the bird flies, or today, as the dreamliner flies, right? right? If you go from, uh, fly from Baghdad to, to, uh, to, to Lourdes Airport, to, to, to Tel Aviv, that line isn't in service yet, but uh, if there would be a plane between Baghdad, it would fly over Jordan. It would fly over the country of Jordan. Now, the country of Jordan is mostly desert. So in the days of old, people didn't travel the desert because it was dangerous. So there was an ark, and the ark was over Syria. And there there were oases, places of water, and you can rest and stay. And that path was a snake path, a snake path. That's the way it was. It was a snake path. Now, you know the word python. What's python? It's a snake, right? And you know that piton in Hebrew is a type of snake. And we also know that in biblical Hebrew, the bet sometimes becomes a pay in rabbinic Hebrew. And a shin becomes a taf in rabbinic Hebrew. For example, how do you say three in Hebrew? Shalosh. How do you say he three in Aramaic? Tlat. Taf lama taf. So the ta taf is, is a shin. And, and, and the... Um, Pay is, is becomes a bet, and that is interchangeable in even a chazal. You have a bet. Even in Arabic today, by the way, the b and the p are interchangeable letters. And therefore, what is the bashan if not the peten, the piton? The bashan is Eretz bashan is the Eretz of the snake path. That is the commercial route in the Golan. So when Ibn Gabirol is talking about the Bashan, he's talking about this is the route that Am Yisrael left to Galut Bavel. Where we say, Al Narot Bavel, Sham Yashavnu, Gam Bachinu, Vizachrenu Etzion. It was Mitzafon Tipatach Hara'ah, as Yirmiyahu says this week's Aftaira, from Yirmiyahu Perak Aleph. It's going to come from the north. Because that's, uh, that's where the troops are going to come from, from Babylon. They're not going to come from modern-day Jordan. They're going to come from the Ark, from the commercial route. And they're going to come into Eretz Yisrael, and they're going to take Jews, that route, back to Babylon. So that is the Bashan. But the Romans didn't come from the Bashan. They came from Italy. So where was their headquarters in Eretz Yisrael, the Roman headquarters? Caesarea. Caesarea, Caesarea, was, which means if you go to Caesarea, so if you're looking towards Haifa, so if you look left, you can see the Mediterranean. And if you look light, right, you can see the beginning of the Carmel Mountains. So the Carmel meant the place that Jews were sent into Galut of Rome. And Galut of Rome meant being sent to Italy and Italy to Europe and so on, to Spain, that's where Am Yisrael exited Eretz Yisrael by ship. They were thrown out. Well, actually, many actually went through North Africa. That's a different route, Beseda. But what Ibn Gabirol is talking about now, what he's saying is, B'nai Beitzvul, 
Vashev Gvul HaKarmil HaPashan, Shakadosh Baruch should restore the boundaries that Am Yisrael should now be in the north, east, and in the west. It should be our home once again. Ve'ayin Pekach, Ve'nakom Kach, we ask HaKadosh Baruch to, as if to say, open up your eyes and take revenge. We can't do it. We're too weak. But revenge has to be taken. From whom? Me'etzer Umedishan. Who is Mr. Eitzer and who is Mr. Dishan? Now you have to scroll back to Sefer Breshit, Parshat Vayishlach, to the lineage of the Alufei Esav. So you have Aluf, 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 Aluf. And by the way, that's where we in our in Israeli army took the rank of general from because these were the top ace of people and ace of means war so the top guys are alufim that's where it was taken from right so two of the alufim one is the aluf etzer and one is the aluf dishan in parshat vayishlach why does ibn gabirol snuff out two of many alufei esav yeah what am i saying Right. So why is that that nobody ever talks about that that they were They were and it's very much what happened after the destruction of the second Beit HaMikdash we lost touch with the destruction of the first Beit HaMikdash and that's really the reason why we keep the 17th and not the 9th um, because the, 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 the first Beit HaMikdash destruction doesn't impact on us anymore and it just got lost. It just got lost. Yeah, it's a good point. Yeah, in the right. And the kindness of we talk about the ten tribes. Correct. Right. So one is the one is the northern kingdom. Right. You're right. So in other words, there there is some poetry there. There is some poetry there. Yeah. Right. Right, the memory actually is very Kabbalistic, that the ten tribes are somewhere, hiding somewhere, behind a river, river called the Sambatyon, and they're going to come back. Rambam never bought that, by the way. <laughs> I, I actually heard once somebody claiming that they are hiding on the far side of the moon. <laughs> and that's why America had to develop a space program, so that they're going to bring them back. Okay, I, I don't think the Rambam would buy that. I certainly don't buy that either. Yeah. You were saying, yeah? Yeah. Uh, you, you were talking about uh, the 17th of time. Right. Uh, five things that had, that yeah. I only got three. No, no. The first is the, um, the Luchot was broken. The second, the Beit HaMikdash activity ceased. And that's called Butala Tamid. The third is the crashing of the wall of Yerushalayim. The fourth was the burning of a Sefer Torah, which we don't have information about. And the fifth was putting a, a, a pesel, a statue in Beit HaMikdash. Again, the Gemara says, Gemara, means tradition, you know, tradition. We have a tradition, we don't have the details. We don't have the details, that's all. So now, who are the Eitzer and who are the Dishan people? Obviously, one is going to be Babylon and one's going to be Rome. It's clear, that's the whole focus of the poem. So let's go back to a little world history. Before the Babylonians took over Eretz Yisrael, the Assyrians, Ashur, they were the empire. And the empire 
of Ashur had a policy, not just with Am Yisrael, anybody who they conquered. There was always an issue how to deal with that there shouldn't be an insurgence, a type of counter-revolution against, you know, here they're trying to take over one place after the other and they have to bog down with local revolutions against their authority. How do you deal with it? So the Assyrians had a very simple way of dealing with it. It was called transfer of population. They simply created a monster of refugees, a monster refugee problem. And that's what happened in Eretz Israel. They took ten, the residents of the 10 tribes and they moved them east. And they took Goyim from the east and they moved them west. What do we call those Goyim who occupied the area of the 10 tribes? Samaritans, the Shomronim. The Shomronim are a creation of the Assyrians who are Gentiles who were brought from the east to west as, they, as the Am Yisrael of the 10 tribes were brought east. And that's what they did. It was a very, very cruel thing to do, but they did it. That was their policy. Babylonians were tzaddikim. They had a different policy. And when they took over an area, they demonstratively left the local government in place, intact. And they said, look, we're here. We're now the new landlord, but you can run the show. You can run the show. Keep running the show on a local level. It's fine. But there are two things that you're going to have to do. Provide lodging and food for our soldiers. And thereby, we solve the logistic problem of schlepping food from Babylon. You're going to feed us, that's all. You're going to give them a room in your house, and you're going to feed us. You can imagine what kind of problems that cost. But on a, on a government level, your king will continue to be the king. And indeed, this is what happens because um, in the fourth year of Yehoiachin, Melech Yehuda, Babylon comes over, takes over. And Yehoiachin continues to reign another seven years till he dies. And then there's another king, Kitzitgiyahu. He reigns for, for another few years uh, and, and 11 years. I'm sorry, Yehoiachin uh, uh, continues for, right, full, he, he reigns 11 years. And it ultimately becomes another seven years. It becomes 18 years, which means Am Yisrael is under Babylonian rule for 18 years before the destruction. And the only reason the Babylonians destroyed the Beit Mikdash is because we became non-cooperative. We started revolting against it, and they had to put it down. So we brought it on. We brought on the destruction, like we always bring on trouble. But the Babylonians thought that even after the Chorban, they can still work this policy. And they appoint Gedalia as the governor, Jewish governor. And you know why it doesn't work? Because we killed him. We killed him. And the Babylonians saw these guys can't keep the shop. And that's when they threw us out. So the Galut, the exile, is a result of the assassination of Gedalia. That's why it is some Gedalia. Not because Gedalia was murdered. There's some Gedalia because the Galut, the exile, begins with the assassination of Gedalia. But this was their policy, Babylon. It was, relatively speaking, a more benign policy than the Assyrians. You guys stay home. You guys can run your local affairs. Just make sure our soldiers have where to live and where, where to sleep and where to eat. That's it. Now, what does the word Aleph Shin Reish mean? What does Osher mean? It means content. It means bounty. Bounty. Ashreinu, we say. Ashreyer It was the bounty of the country that was taken. We were looted. We were looted. We were forced to, 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 uh, to provide lodging and food to them. Okay, so now we're going to come with a bill. 
to the Asavs of the Osher people. It's like, you know, reparations from Germany. Okay, they, they murdered Jews, but they also stole things from us, stole property, stole our belongings, and so on. So that's the Etzer, the Asavs Etzers. But there was another ruling power, and that was Rome. Rome, what did they do? They burnt everything. They burned everything. When you go to the old city and you go to the burnt house, how do you know you arrived at the archaeological level of Rome? You look for black, you look for ephir, you look for ash. What does the word dishan mean? We know it from the Beit HaMikdash, trumat hadeshen, the ash of the korbanot. The word deshen means ashes. So dishan is the aluf of the ace of who burnt, and they were the Romans. So etzer were the Babylonians, and Dishan, the burners, the great burners, were the Romans. And then we say, Shvot Ilaim. Ilaim means a person who's a mute. A mute. And there's an interesting pasuk in Mishle. Patach picha li'ilaim. Open the mouth of the mute. And this is applied to halacha in a judiciary. Let's assume somebody is standing for, and he, he can really have a good or halachic argument, but he's an ignoramus. So today you have a lawyer who does the job for you. But the halacha doesn't have the idea of a lawyer. Who has to give the person the option to say a good claim? The judges. The judges should tell the, the litigant, by the way, you can claim such and such. He's a mute in this particular situation. So open his mouth. And here we're telling Kadosh Baruch Hu, Shvot Ilaim. Who's the mute? We are the mutes. We're not going to come to Kadosh Baruch Hu and say we didn't deserve it. That's the last thing in the world we're going to do on Shavasa Batamos and make an argument. By the way, you know, God, you were out of line. We didn't deserve this. We, we deserved it. Our mouth is shut. We are the Ilaim. We're the mute. But nevertheless, Az Yishalem, they got to pay for it. There's something here. The, the, the word Az Yishalem, where does it come from? It's a page right out of Parshat Mishpatim. The Az Yishalem. It's a, it's a pasuk. And they're going to pay. Who's going to pay? Hamav'eh v'hamav'ir. Who is the Mav'eh? When you see these two words, what flashes right in front of you? If not the first Mishnah of Baba Kama, Arba Avot Nizikin, there are four primary principal categories of damages. One is the shore, the axe. One is the bore, uh, the, the pit in Rishut Arabim, translated halachically as any um, uh, obstacle that you might put in public domain that causes damage. I mean, the class A example was you dug a pit and somebody tripped into, fell into it or tripped or whatever. But it can be any obstacle. That's bore. And then there's mav'eh and there's hev'er. So let's just jump to the last one because that's going to be the easy one. Hev'er means eish hamazik, fire. What does the Torah say in Parshat Meshpatim? Ki tetzei eish umatza kutzim. Look, you, you, you're running a mangal in your backyard. That's very nice, very nice. Except that your fire got a little bit out of control and you didn't bother doing anything about it and there was a nice uh, gusty wind and brought it over to the next guy's backyard and burnt everything there. So you can say, I didn't do anything. It was the wind. You know, blame it on the Mashiv Haruach. You know, he's the one who, you know, God makes the wind, you know. Blame it on the weatherman. Blame it on everybody, but not me. What did I do? I made a mangal in my backyard, right? Made a, made a barbecue. So, so, so the Torah says, by the way, you have to take this into consideration. 
that if there's a wind that's going to cause your fire to go to the next guy's neighbor and it causes destruction, you're going to pay for it. That's Eish Hamazik. So the sighting of Mavir, which is the fourth in the list of four principal damages, that, that flips back to Rome. That's Rome. They're the great burners. They're the Aluf Dishan. Okay? We understand that. What is Maveh? The word Maveh caused havoc to our Chachamim in the Talmud Bavli and in the Yerushalmi. And Dav Gimel, my Maveh. What is Maveh? We don't know what it is even. Don't even know what it is. Okay. So, but the Talmud Yerushalmi actually gives us a clear vision of what it is. The word Maveh spelled in the text of the Mishnah, Mem, Bet, Ayan, Hey, says a Rav, um, the, the Sri Deesh, Sri Deesh is a Rav Yechiel Yaakov Weinberg, in his fourth volume of Sri Deesh, who is Rav Yaakov, yes, Yechiel Yaakov Weinberg, there was a great Beit Midrash that was founded in Berlin in the late 1880s, by a Rav Ezriel Hildesheimer. Right, and that Beit Midrash became known then as the Beit Midrash Le Rabbanim Al Shem Harav Hildesheimer, or in German, the Hildesheimer Rabbiner Seminar. Right, the Beit Midrash Le Rabbanim Al Shem, in name of Rabbi Hildesheimer. So who was the Rosh Hashiva after Rabbi Hildesheimer? It was Rav David Svi Hoffman. And who was the Rosh Hashiva after Rav Hoffman? Rav Yechiel Yaakov Weinberg. And he wrote, he, he survives the war even though he's in the Shoah. He's, he, he comes out a wounded, emotionally, psychologically, physically wounded person, but survives and lives until 1966 and lives out his life in Montreuil in, in, in Switzerland and starts a yeshiva there and has, has Talmidim. And he publishes his Shelotu Chuvot. He wrote responsa literature when he was a Rosh Hashiva and Rav in Berlin before the war. And he prints it in three volumes called Sridei Eish. What a name for a sefer. The remnant from the fire. I mean, the, the book, the title says it all. But then there's a fourth volume. The fourth volume is not Shelotu Chuvot. There are people who will only bring the first three volumes into their house. That's Shelotu Chuvot, response to literature. He is a posek halacha. Um, what's volume four? It's Mechkarim. It's academic studies of Talmud. And he was unbelievable. He was just unbelievable. I only have Chelek Dalet in my house. Chelek Aleph Bet Gimel I happen to have on the, on the computer, on Projekta Shoot in Barilan. Bar they have it. But as a book, I only have Chelek Dalet. And I, I value it unbelievable. And he has a whole thing about Mav'eh, and he says that most probably from an etymologic, etymological point of view, from the word development, it comes from Parshat eh, Mishpatim, Ki Yav'er Ish, Yud Bet Ayin Reish, where the Reish somehow becomes an Aleph, he explains how that happened, but it's that Parsha, Ki Yav'er Ish, Sadeh Ocherem, Kerem, Vishilaim, what does it say there? Um, let me read it. See. No, yeah, let me just read it. Let me read it. Let me read it. Let me read it. Ki aver ish sade ocherem, vishilachet bi iro, uvi er bisade acher, 
Meitav Sadeu Meitav Karmo Yishalem. Translated simply, if a man lets him, his animal go into the next field or vineyard and somehow it uh, trespasses and eats, nibbles from the food of the, uh, the fruits or grain from the neighbor's field or, or vineyard, you got to pay him back the best. If you're going to pay him back cash, that's one thing. But if you can pay him back in produce, it's got to be the best. Meitav sadeyu umeitav karmo yishalem. Chazal spoke about three different grades of um, of of, um, of produce: idit, uh, benunit, and ziburit. Idit means the best, top quality. So you have to pay back top quality produce. That's that's what the Torah says. And Rav Weinberg says. That in the Talmud Yerushalmi, it says, Vishilachet bi'iro uvi'er b'steacher means two motions of an animal. One is trespassing, you know, beregel, drisat regel. Animal goes onto the field, and there's a cabbage field there. And half the cabbage gets destroyed because the animal, which is heavy, tramples on it. You can't use that food anymore. Or nibbles on it. You're not going to eat that food any, anymore anyway, right? So, what we have here is two different categories of shor, an axe that does damage. It's not doing any damage by goring with his horn, which is called keren. It's called shen and regel. Shen and regel. And the Talmud Yerushalmi identifies the mav'eh of the Torah as being shen v'regel. The payment for either eating or trespassing with the food. You know, doing damage with the feet, with the feet, which means the animal is trespassing on the, on, the, on the neighbor's field or vineyard. Fine. If this is what Ibn Gabirol had in mind, the Yerushalmi's understanding of Mav'er, it fits into place because that's exactly what the Babylonians did. They demanded that we provide entrance and food for their soldiers, drisat regel and ochel. It was shen v'regel, characterized in, uh, in the laws of damages in Babakama, according to the Yerushalmi. So this Ibn Gabirol has the Yerushalmi opened from the beginning of the poem and the end of the poem. He has the Yerushalmi understanding, yom gavar ha'oyev v'tibaka ha'ir, yes, the Romans crashed through on the 17th, and the Babylonians crashed through on the 17th. This is against the view of the Talmud Bavli, but it's the Yerushalmi's view. Biyad Bavel v'gam seir, yom gavar ha'oyev v'tibaka ha'ir. And then when he sets it up, b'nei beit gvul, Kadosh Baruch should rebuild Beit HaMikdash. And how is he going to do it? Well, first he's got to restore the borders. Which borders? The Carmel and the Bashan. Those borders that, that were lost both in the first time and the second time. The first time from the Bashan, the Babylonians, the northeast, and the second time from the Carmel, from, the, from Caesarea, the Romans. And he says, God should take revenge. From who? From the Alufe Eitzer and the Alufe Dishan. The Eitzer people, they're the ones who looted us from our food and demanded that we use our homes for their homes. So we asked God, Shvot Ilaim Ve'azi Shalem, Payback time. What's the, what's the indictment? The indictment and the charge is Mav'eh 
and Mav'ir. Mav'en, Mav'ir are number three and number four in the four damages of Parshat Mishpatim from Babakama. The fourth is easy, that's the, the burner, the fire, and those are the Romans. And the third is Mav'eh, according to the understanding of the Talmud Yerushalmi, that it was Shainam Regel. It was paying back for food and for allowing entrance, Drisat Regel, we say in modern Hebrew, Drisat Regel, entry, that you're allowed to come in, you're welcome. Yeah, welcome, welcome with, you know, quotes, welcome. Yom Gavar Ha'oyev Vatibakair. Why would Ibn Gabirol opt for the Rishalmi expressions because it's Shavasa Batamos and we're mourning Yerushalayim and we're hoping to return to Torah Eretz Yisrael. And he very, very beautifully adopts halachic positions of Talmud Yerushalmi to, bid, to build his case in this particular poem. So now on Thursday morning when you say this poem, I'm sure, as part of the slichot, I'm sure you're going to have a different take on what this was all about. And God willing, one day, we won't have to say slichot any longer because the Tzoma Ravii and the Tzoma Hamishi and the Tzoma Shvi'i and the Tzoma Ha'asiri Okay, next week in Metzchem we'll still have a shear. We'll go back to something in the Perush Mishnah. I made vague reference to Perush Mishnah today with the Ramam's view that we actually kept Tisha above during Bayacheni. That source is Perush Mishnah Masechet Rosh Hashanah. And that will be our closing shear for the season because we're going to be a little bit on Chofesh until um, I think it's August 27th. I believe that's what it is. Yeah, yeah. Okay, Goldhoff.